Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, I never had much luck keeping double acts together. <laughs> Balls. They're a symbol of strength, yet they're the most vulnerable and weak part of the human body. They represent masculinity, and yet, with a well-placed kick or even a firm poke, the feeblest child can reduce a muscle-bound jock to a squirming heap on the floor. If we're cowardly, we're told to grow some. If we're brave, we're said to have huge ones. But if it's cold, they're liable to fall off, even if you're a brass monkey. If we're in trouble, someone will threaten to break them. If we have to work hard, we might very well bust them. If we're in somebody's thrall, then they've got us by them. If we fuck up, we've dropped one. Balls are a euphemism for something useless and mendacious. Unless they belong to a dog. Uh, in which case, for some unfathomable reason, they are the best thing ever. I, don't, I mean, I don't know... I don't know who it was who looked at dogs' testicles and thought, yeah, that's... That's the way. Everyone must love those, right? They're, they're, the be- they're not even the best testicle. They're the worst testicle. I don't understand how it happened. They're possibly the least attractive external body part resembling two kiwi fruit bulging in a hairy shopping bag. They're not even symmetrical. And yet, 
Even in this age of plastic surgery, hardly anyone elects to have the things snipped off to make their undercarriage more aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> they are often neglected and ignored, very much the backing singers in the band that is the male genitalia, <laughs> overshadowed by the charismatic frontman. <laughs> the equivalent of the two blokes who stood in the back in East 17 doing that. Uh, <laughs> Yet they're hanging between the legs of roughly 50% of the human beings on the planet. And let's not forget all the animals, birds and fish that have them too. Are one or two, or occasionally more, of the most magical, almost fantastical, godlike genesis machines on the planet. Spewing out possible new lives at an improbable rate. A pair of functioning human testes in their prime produce 1,500 sperm every second of the day. That's something like 525 billion sperm cells churned out of those weird, gristly clumps of tubules in a human lifetime. An estimated 21.5 gallons of semen. Enough to fill half a bath. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think half a bath feels a bit of a letdown, doesn't it? After a, after a lifetime of spunk production. But remember, with the help of a fastidious and determined friend, you, you could fill your tub to the brim. So, though if you're planning to have a bath in your lifetime of jizz be careful about filling the bath that high remember the work of Archimedes which that was that's what it was all about as far as I remember 525 billion sperm that's a lot of potential people given that most men father somewhere between zero and three children in their lifetime there's a huge volume of sex mess going to waste if God is serious about every sperm being sacred, every man who's ever lived is in an awful lot of trouble. <laughs> Though, to be fair, it's God who made us have so much of the stuff, and so it's, at the very least, entrapment. Um, <laughs> if there was only one testicle in the universe producing this amount of latent life, it would be worshipped as a god, or at least appear in an episode of Star Trek shooting out terrifying giant space fish at Captain Kirk, who <laughs> I think might quite like that as far as I... Yet this miraculous gobbing globule is so commonplace that it hangs between the legs of approximately 4 billion living humans, as well as having been possessed by maybe another 50 billion dead ones. Their ubiquity makes them ordinary. Consequently, this pair of hairy deities in our pants are regarded as comical and ridiculous, like a slightly less wrinkly version of the Chuckle Brothers, <laughs> rather than being revered. And like the Chuckle Brothers, for me at least, there's only one left. <laughs> I've also lost arguably the best one. <laughs> Hello, I am Richard Herring. I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster, and I'm a ventriloquist mainly now. There's no end to my talents. And welcome to this new podcast, Can I Have My Ball Back? This is the first episode of a series. I don't know how many episodes there are going to be. Maybe a million. And it's all about testicles and what happens if you're unlucky enough to lose one. Because I only have one ball. Like Hitler and many other people, I only have one ball. Uh, this is a podcast in which I attempt to come to terms with that. I hope this series will be useful to you if you find yourself in a similar situation to me or if you're worried that you found yourself in a similar situation. But it's also for everyone who's interested, even casually, in bollocks. You will get lots of testicular information, which I think you will enjoy. I have a long association with male genitalia. I've had male genitalia my entire life. 
in 2002, I also performed a show called Talking Cock, a male answer to the vagina monologues, which became a book of the same name. Now I'm talking bollocks. So, you know, I am an expert on male genitalia. This goes well, I'll move on to the arsehole. So look out for that. So on this series, we're going to find out not just about my own testicular cancer, but also about testicles in general. I've interviewed all sorts of interesting people, one bald celebrities, people who've suffered their own testicular traumas and issues, to medical experts, to historians and other people who can tell us about how Polynesian fishermen, for example, used to use them to navigate the waters of the Pacific to US quacks trying to cure all kinds of ailments by inserting goat testes into people. That that won't work. Don't try that at home. Balls are magic, my friends, but they're not that magic. I've also written a book about this subject, which is also called Can I Have My Ball Back? It's available at all good bookshops. You may want to purchase that right now. We will cover a little bit of the stuff that's in the book in this podcast, but there's loads of stuff in the podcast that isn't in the book, and there's lots of stuff in the book that isn't in the podcast. Look, I wanted to tell you the story of how it happened and the funny things that happened to me along the way, the serious things that happened to me along the way, and to take a little bit of the stigma out of both genitals and cancer, which are two things that people aren't very happy to talk about. I think it's important we talk about them, and it's great to be able to do that in podcast form. Now, for any listeners who are maybe a little bit squeamish, here's a trigger warning. Remember those? That this podcast will discuss operations and slightly unpleasant things happening to testicles in some graphic detail. But, you know, I had to live through all of this. This actually happened to my testicles. So if I can do it, you can do it. It's going to be fine. Anyway, to find out exactly what has been going on in my pants. Let's begin at the very beginning. I'm not sure when I began to suspect that something was wrong with my right testicle, but perhaps the first sign was when I sat on it. <laughs> I'd never done that before. Even though I joked about it in my last stand-up show, Oh Frig, I'm 50. Gravity takes its effect on men as well as women. When you're 50, there's a genuine possibility you might sit on one of your own testicles. No one, no one warns you about that, do they? Every time I sit down now, I kind of try to get this sort of centrifugal force thing. If one go in one way and one go in the other, if they touch at the top, I know I'm safe. That's, that's my system. And that's in proportion, man. And that is where they meet. That is how awful things have become. It never actually happened to me when I made that joke. Uh, it was a lie. My, my balls were still tight and young and as beautiful as balls ever get to be. <laughs> so fate made me pay for my comedic mendacity. As I went to sit down on my bed, my nut nudged its way under my buttock and would have taken the full force had I not leapt to my feet. I assumed that middle age had just caught up with me. Similarly, if my ball seemed heavier in the bath, it must be the same deal, right? Just another of the awful effects of getting older, horrible hanging conkers dangling around your knees, <laughs> there to make it palatably clear to everyone that you are no longer a sexual proposition. Um, <laughs> It wasn't until January 2021 that I began to idly wonder if something might be wrong. The, the ball wasn't merely heavier, it felt like it was getting larger and maybe a bit harder than I remembered. Or was I imagining it? Uh, there were no lumps or bumps on my magic bean, which is what I'd understood I was meant to be looking out for. Everything seemed to be functioning as normal, if you know, if you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean, mate? Uh, I'm not sure, do you know, 
You sure? I'm not sure you do know what I mean. No. I mean, I was, I was, I was out of spunk up. So. <laughs> spunk up. Eventually, I was concerned enough to Google my symptoms. I can't remember what I searched for or which page I ended up on, uh, but uh, I was satisfied from the search that I didn't have anything to worry about. How that is possible is a complete mystery to me because every subsequent time I've Googled the issue, all results have said something along the lines of what you'll find on nhs.uk. Lumps and swellings in the testicles can have lots of different causes. Most are caused by something harmless, such as a buildup of fluid, a cyst, or swollen veins in the testicles. But sometimes they can be a sign of something serious, such as testicular cancer. Do not try to self-diagnose the cause of your lump. Always see a GP. Did I stop reading after the first sentence? I don't know. Did I, did I just see what I hoped I would see? Or was I simply feeling embarrassed or frightened? Whatever was going on in the brain in my trousers, I did not go to see my GP straight away. I went off to Wales uh, to shoot for a week. So I was in a feature film. Yeah. Couldn't give that up, can I? Because I had testicular cancer. <laughs> We were staying in an outward-bound centre, usually frequented by teenagers, and the central heating had broken down. So each night I'd lie shivering in a bunk bed that a thousand school children had almost certainly wanked in. Um, the howling Welsh wind keeping me awake, rain smashing against my window, sadly feeling my seemingly ever-expanding bollock. And unlike every other inhabitant of this bunk, not for sexual pleasure. At least not to start with. Um, I had to take my mind off things somehow. It's cold. By this point, I was really concerned. And so when I finally got home, I turned to Google again. But this time, everything I read seemed very insistent that whilst it was likely nothing to worry about, I must immediately contact my GP. COVID was hitting its post-Christmas peak and I was reluctant to clog the system up for those in real need. But I knew I couldn't keep putting this off. If the ball got much bigger, it might explode and take out half the houses in the street. And I wasn't convinced my home insurance would cover that. Um, <laughs> I presumed I'd be very much at the back of the queue for appointments because of COVID. I was surprised and if not a little concerned when they arranged to see me within 36 hours of the call. They were taking this very seriously, too seriously, like it could only mean one thing. I had a day and a half to ruminate about the worst case scenario and to wallow in the possibility that I might be checking out sooner than I'd intended. It's human to project in this way, to imagine the worst possible horrors and slightly enjoy the personalised horror movie you're creating in your head. I think most of us believe that by envisioning the most nightmarish eventuality that, that somehow prevents it from ever coming true. Um, every time I get on a plane, I've stated that it's definitely going to crash. <laughs> Yet none of those planes have ever crashed. Because <laughs> fate hates to be predictable. Uh, no need to thank me, fellow passengers. I had your back. I only feel sorry that nobody thought to take that precaution on all those planes that have crashed. <laughs> I'm also a comedian, which meant there was a part of me that was thrilled that something was wrong. In a way, wouldn't it be quite good if this turned out to be serious or even terminal? Imagine the Edinburgh Fringe show I'd get out of that. <laughs> I mean, it might have to be performed by a hologram of me, but if the, if the show sold out and got five-star reviews, who cares? That, that's the mindset of the professional comic. As long as something doesn't instantly kill you, every awful experience is material. I suppose it's a way to try and look on the bright side. I've been in the middle of terrible events, a fight, a humiliating sexual encounter, a mugging, a lot more humiliating sexual encounters, a plane seemingly on fire. I hadn't predicted that, you see, that's why... I... Didn't crash, though. And a voice in my head every time has been saying, think of the jokes we'll get out of this. Uh, I admit, though, this is deeply weird to be slightly wishing for something awful to happen just for the lols. But come on, though. If there was something seriously wrong with my testicles, 
What a gift that would be, right? Where the <laughs> balls are the absolutely funniest body part possible. In, in terms of generating laughter, there couldn't be a better internal organ to go wrong. Yeah. You try writing a joke about liver cancer. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's possible, but you'd really need to work at it, I have to tell you. But your balls trying to kill you? Come on. This show would write itself. And it had quite literally landed in my lap. <laughs> Well, what a very exciting start to the story. I can't wait to find out what happens to this Richard Herring fella next. Do stay tuned if you want to find out. Look, in the course of making this series, I've interviewed a lot of fascinating people with testicular stories to tell. And my very first guest and the first person I talked to is Richard Herring-faced actor, author and motorcyclist Charlie Borman. It's quite a weird coincidence that this man also only has one ball. I've been mistaken for him a lot in the past. I did a sketch about being obsessed with motorcycling, even though I can't motorcycle, and he's a motorcyclist. All sorts of weird little coincidences between the two of us. And it turns out that he also had testicular cancer. In fact, he found out that he had testicular cancer in, uh, I would say, a pretty unique way. I asked him to tell us exactly what happened. My wife had taken our dog Ziggy to the vet to have his annual checkup. And, and the last thing he checked was his nuts. Yeah. And, and he, he felt one of them and he said, oh, one of them feels a bit odd. He said, you should keep an eye on it. And my wife said, one of my husband's testicles feels a bit odd. And he said, <laughs> well, you should definitely get that checked out. So she came home and she said, you got to get it checked out. And, and of course, being a bloke, you know, you just fucking useless aren't you so I didn't do anything and then finally I went down to the doctor my local GP and that that was the first of being groped god knows how many I've never had so many people fill my nuts in in all my life yeah and so quickly that's the thing that got me you meet someone and they might add a new GP and and then there was another set of nuts and and my doctor was named he had a fantastic name he was he was Dr. Van Ass was his name he was a South African guy really really nice man Dr. Van Ass was groping my nuts and, and he said no that's definitely something you should go get him uh, they, they, they do the ultrasound on it don't yeah. they you know and so I, I went home and i didn't do anything about right. it <laughs> anyway the next morning at 7 30 in the morning my doctor rang and he said charlie have you booked your <laughs> your 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 scan i said i said christ i said this is the first time you've called me in 20 years <laughs> and he said that's so why i was straight away i went and yeah. got it done anyway and then things happened very quickly and then suddenly i found myself lying on the on the operating table and and he was asking me did i want a false testicle or not and i'm yeah. thinking well do i really want one and then <laughs> And then, and then I said, well, how many people have a false testicle thinking that that would sway my, my yeah. decision, you know? And he goes, oh, it's about 50-50. So that didn't help at all. Anyway, I eventually decided to have it. And just as the, as the anesthetist was putting me out, all, all I could hear was the doctor saying to me, don't worry, Charlie, it's just like shelling peas. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then I woke up and I had one testicle. Yeah. But anyway, that's but that's, that's how I, I did it. And then... You know, they got it out and it was it was really early and right. I had a little bit of chemotherapy just to sort of belt and braces. Then that was it. Yeah. I know that I heard you talking about pre-surgery and you were kind of worried, which I think is not, again, a pretty important worry when you're going in for surgery. You're feeling you want to make sure they get the right one. Oh, Christ, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, well, actually, that was quite funny because the doctor comes in with a Sharpie and they'll mark on your leg and put arrows and make sure that, you know, the right one's coming off or, or in my case, yeah, in my case, it was the right one but he came in and I was so freaked out I just said look do you mind if I do the marking and so he said yeah he said you can do it so he, 
he gave me the uh, the sharpie, and then I was just about to mark it up, and he just said, "Charlie, you know, I just want you to know." And I said, "What's that?" And he goes, "I just want you to know you are dyslexic." <laughs> And I just want you to get the right one. So I was had this sharpie in my hand, and I just gave it back to him. Yeah. I said, "Okay, you do it." But I said, "You fucking cut the wrong one off. I am absolutely going to come after you. I know where you live, you know." But so, it's weird because I think even if they'd made me do that, you're so confused and so worried about it. I think I would have struggled to go. Well, I, I, know, I know it's the right one, but, but, but then in the back of right your mind, your the, the whole time in the back of your mind before the operation, you are sitting there thinking, "What if he?" cuts off the good one yeah because i mean you hear these stories and and i'm sure not all of the stories are true but <laughs> for sure some of them are going to be yeah, true well, it's going to happen and, and it's going to be happen yeah and you just pray it's not you yeah. oh my gosh it would just be horrible what i didn't realize was i thought that when they took the testicle out they would just open your ball sack up and take your testicle out yeah but they don't they cut you open up near where your appendix Yes. Would be. And then they go in and then they take this very long entrail and they want to make sure they get everything yeah. everything going. But, you know, the other thing that I didn't realize was I thought naively, because I didn't really concentrate in school, I assumed that your nuts made the goo. Right. And I thought, if I'm going to have going to have one less nut, I'm not going to have enough goo anymore. But in actual fact, the goo was obviously made somewhere else. But it was all those things. It was a real learning curve as yeah. well. And did, you, did your ball bag go completely purple? Um, uh, after the operation, I, 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 I had the biggest purple you? nuts that you've I don't ever think I seen. Look, I don't think I dared look at it. You know, I sort of didn't touch it or look at it for ages. My bull sack and my willy all went completely purple. Right. And and because uh, the blood has to drain somewhere, so it drains oh, to the to the extremities. Yeah. And that's what a bruise is. It's basically yeah. just internal bleeding. Anyway, so I was lying there, I'm thinking, Christ Almighty. Anyway, one of my great friends, Jason, came in. He said, "Chai." You know, how you're feeling, you've just got one nut left. I mean, what's going on? And I said, well, take a look at this. And I pulled back the sheets. And there was this sort of baboon's ball bag sitting there. And he was wow. going, oh, my God. Oh, jeez. And he sort of went stumbling out the door. And oh, it was so funny. Yeah. So that was my little party trick <laughs> when people came to visit me. <laughs> I didn't show anyone. I didn't show myself. But I, I don't know what it was like for you. I mean, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to make love again. Um, my manhood is, is going to be my, my testosterone. Yeah. You know, what's going to happen with all of that as well? Of course. So um, how old were you? At the t- it was a few years ago, right? This was like 10 years ago, I yeah. think, for me now. Right. So still quite late, because I was 53 or 54 mm. when I was diagnosed, which is quite late for testicular cancer. So you would have been in your 40s, which is... 40s, late. yeah. The doctor that I, when I spoke to him, he said that ingredient can be anything between 8 and 80. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think it's an early... I think it skews younger, doesn't no. it? So it's at my age, it's sort of just a little bit over the normal, the mm. normal age. But then cancer is no friends. It, yeah. <laughs> it just decides to go wherever the fuck it wants. It is. And it's tough. Yeah. I think for me, when they say to you it's cancer, you know, your mind yeah. runs away with you. Of course. And, and I had a number of years before, my sister Talsha had ovarian cancer. And she, you know, had a terrible battle and, and yeah. lost her battle. And it was awful, you know, sitting watching her deteriorate in front of your eyes for, for about a year mm. and you try to do everything that you can right up to the last moment because you think that there might be some possible miracle that, yeah. that might happen or suddenly that treatment might help yeah and, uh, which it never did but and so when he said that you know i had cancer I'd, i just assumed that i remember waking up in the middle of the night and panicking that i was going to end up Going down the same path as my as my sister, course, and, yeah. and and um, anyway, and then then when the final doctor said, obviously when they did the biopsy and stuff, you know, then he said, "Listen, it's fine. Yeah, it's just an inconvenience, <laughs> not a life changer." Yeah, and that's kind of what you want to hear, isn't it? It is. Really? I mean, I'd like to have heard it 
at the beginning. <laughs> with the minute I went in. But they didn't tell me till it was confirmed as cancelled, which is after it's all out and they've taken it out, which was a good five, six yeah. weeks. They didn't tell me that it was basically survivable. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So I had a, I had a long yeah. period of thinking, oh, um, you know, yeah. or it might have spread or it might have whatever. But yeah. That time when you've diagnosed is very hard to deal with. But it did make me, I think in the end, I found it quite a positive experience because it made me realize that, you know, as much as I'm always thinking about my own death, that it's actually going to happen. (laughs) And that that I don't want it to happen. So that in a way, I think I might live longer as a result because I'm sort of being healthier generally. And and realizing you want to live, I think, is quite a a nice thing to do. Well, my father father said he's 89 and and he said that living to old age is punishment for having a healthy life. (laughs) Yes. And so he's sitting there thinking all his friends are dead now and there's no one around. So he's going through the opposite side, whereas we all want to live as long as possible. But when you do get to your 89, 90s, then it becomes another story because, you you know, yeah, so maybe he, I'd like to be 75 and then... Just, well, that's a bit young, 75. 75. I I'll take 75 80, now. 80, 85, I think yeah. I'd be happy to <laughs> pop my clogs and then maybe just smash myself off a cliff on a motorbike or something like that. Well, you've you know. got that option. Which is and good. I'll, but I'll probably get saved because my nut will land on the thing and I'll, it'll be like an airbag, you know, yeah. and I'll just bounce back up onto the side of the cliff. <laughs> It's time to make my bollock pay for itself. We've got a very brief advert break for you. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I hope you enjoyed those adverts. I'm still chatting to Charlie Borman, and I'm about to ask him about his favourite topic and mine. Rum, rum. I sure love motorcycling. Rum, rum, rum. You're quite a macho kind of guy with the motorcycling and, and the travelling and the thrill-seeking and everything. You know, I think you were back on a motorcycle after 10 days after the operation, right? Which is yeah. pretty quick because they tell you not to really do anything for... Well, it was light. It was weeks. light. It was a light bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they gave me the chemo, and I think it was a couple of months or a month or so after the operation, yeah. or, 
And they said, you've got to come up for the chemo. We can get you in tomorrow. And I said, okay, fine. But I was going and doing a track day the next day on, on a motorcycle. So take your motorbike around Silverstone or Grand yeah. Satch or whatever. And so I went and got the chemo and sat down. They said, you're going to feel a bit shit the next day. And they said, probably best not to do much, you know. <laughs> anyway, they gave me this handful of pills to stop the sickness. Uh, I don't know if they gave them to yeah. you. Anyway, I went off to this track day and I was going around Silverstone Racetrack. And I was starting to think, oh, God, I feel a bit... <laughs> a bit car sick here or something. Anyway, I pulled in and I had one of the instructors and I pulled my helmet off and he went, oh my gosh, Charlie, you look terrible. You look green. And I was going, really? And I was feeling really ill. And I remember just sort of throwing all these pills in my throat and swallowing them and then carrying on. Right. I thought, I'm not going to give up this day. I've been waiting all year for it. You know? well, that's pretty good. I mean, I think I felt I wanted to get back into things, but I was just tired, really. And I didn't really take the nausea pills because I wasn't that nauseous. All the way through, I didn't feel ill at any point. It didn't hurt anything. The only mm. bad thing was, you know, the scar. And But everywhere you went, you know, sitting, having chemo next to people who have got different cancers and full cancers. And you, and almost you, feel, <laughs> you almost feel guilty for being there because, yeah. you know, you feel like a charlatan. Yeah. Because, well, I'm just having a couple of doses <laughs> just yeah. in case. You know, I think it puts you in a lot of perspective of what people go through, you know. I mean, I'd already seen what my sister went through and she had every operation, every harvesting white blood cells. I mean, you right. name it, she tried it. And, and you know, and then having experienced it a little bit, you, you really do sit back and you think, wow, what people have to go through and what people have to yeah. have to do to do. And that will to try and survive is, is enormous. And, and such respect for people, these doctors and nurses and the hospitals that are looking after people yeah. with cancer because it, it, they're all very individual Everybody experiences it in a very different way. Yeah, they were so brilliant, and I have to say, especially given it was COVID times and everything, yeah. it was so it so was good. so brilliant. Yeah, it's incredible the how people look after you and treat you and and, yeah. and invest time in you. I mean, it's, and it's, I, I it's, found everyone it's amazing. I found everyone was had a pretty good sense of humor about it. everyone. Kept quite buoyant and light. Even, yeah, a lot of humor was, going yeah. on, and yeah. it was it was sort of nice. No one was really going, "Oh my god, this is terrible." You know, ever and especially in the chemo ward, they were all just joking around. They couldn't find money in my veins, and they were well, missing. Yeah. And uh, well, my were, sister loves playing cards, and when she was having chemo sessions and stuff like that, I would sit with her and. She did always thrash me in cards. And she would say, well, you know what they say? And I said, what? And she goes, you know, lucky in cards, cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was an amazing, an amazing spirit, Tasha. And she's a very funny woman. And But it's it, and again, I think it's quite different for everybody. I mean, I've had a lot of big accidents that I've yeah. had. And I've smashed myself up quite badly over the last four years. <laughs> and I think when you have a trauma in your life, sometimes it can be very difficult to leave that trauma behind and, not forget it, but park it and move on. Yeah. And I think sometimes some of us get stuck at that point. Yeah. And, and you know, the what ifs and why me and what yeah. happened and should have, could have, sort of, one of, maybe should have, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's why, and I think very much when I started working for November and doing stuff with them, it was all about, you know, talking about it. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, yeah. funny enough. Did you talk about it at the time or did was that something that came later? Yeah, I mean, I did talk about it at the time. I mean, it was only because it was just a funny story about how I how I found out, yeah. you know, because of my dog Ziggy, you know, and my wife knowing my nuts so well. Yeah, that's impressive. And, 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 um, <laughs> and I'm always quite proud of that. And she still knows them very well and still checks them out. And that's the thing. You need to get to know your nuts. And it's amazing how many people don't really like 
to play around with their nuts. No, I don't. You know, I, st- it's, I, it's, still it's, don't. It's, I still and, don't. And I just think I just I grope them whenever I can. But but um, well, grope it. Yeah. But and so one of these things that we used to always joke about when we were going off and doing these talks with November and stuff, we'd, I used to always say, "Well, listen," and, and I think I still think it's really good advice. Is that you know once a week or so you should get with your girl, your partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever your partner is, and you should check each other out. Yeah. Check each other's nuts or check each other's boobies or. Or whatever it is, sure. and, and and then you know one thing leads to another. You've checked each other out, and then you have sex, <laughs> and you, it's a win-win situation. You know, once a week guarantee, once a week guarantee tag. <laughs> you know, and and we, when you've been married for thirty-five years, you know, you got to hold on to some of these That's things. True. You know? <laughs> That's true. But it is interesting because I did find you have to make a decision about whether you want that news to be out there or not. But I think the great thing was once you mention it, you people come out. I mean, some people don't talk about it at the time, but then they say, "Oh, that happened to me." It's very reassuring to have mm. people going. Thirty years ago, I had testicular cancer, and I'm still fine. You know, mm. so it's I'm very happy to talk to people about. I think it. so. I, th- I think like all of these things, you know, the the more you talk about it, you know, the less of an issue it becomes for yeah. you. And I think in modern society and in, in the West, we're so removed from death or from cancer scare or something. It's just something we're not confronted with. So by talking about it normalizes it yeah and that's why you know one of the big problems as well i mean and i've noticed this since i've had lots and lots of operations recently on on these different injuries that i've had over the years often they say to you yeah we're going to take your nut out and you know you'll be up and walking around no problem and that's it and 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 the reality of it is yes you can stand up but you know there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of so they don't necessarily prep you for what the post feelings are going to be like so just by chatting to people and and meeting people and talk to some people who who were going to have their nut taken off and stuff like that and being able to say to people look they're going to tell you that you know you'll be up and at it straight away but it's not as clear-cut as that and you're going to feel some pain and you're going to feel this and that and and it's really nice to be able to pass on that experience to say to people you know scars don't heal properly for a year so even six months or so, or, or maybe you had it as well, eight months later, you'll get little bits of stabbing pain occasionally. Mm. you know, And that, all of that is quite normal to your recovery. Yeah, that's all very good advice. We should ask, was Ziggy okay? Was Ziggy's testicles actually okay? Or yeah, no, Ziggy, Ziggy was fine. Yeah. yeah, He lived to, a, he was about 13 when, right. he, when he passed. And with two and, balls. And with two balls, yeah. Wow. That was Charlie Borman. My producer has written down a man who could truthfully describe the way he discovered he had testicular cancer as the dog's bollocks. I would never say that myself, but, you know, if you enjoyed that, I'm indebted to Ben Walker. We will hear a bit more from Charlie Borman later in the series. Let's get back to my fascinating story. I think you'll remember that we left it when I'd phoned the GP concerned about my swollen nut. They asked me to go to the local surgery just a couple of days later. So I went to the doctors. I went to see my GP. And I hadn't been to the village doctors since 2019. And things were starkly different than my last visit. Firstly, there was a brand new young GP there who I'd be seeing for the first time. Secondly, COVID restrictions made the usually mundane and respectable task of visiting a doctor feel underground and illicit. Uh, The front door was locked. I buzzed the intercom and a voice told me that I needed to wait by a side door and the doctor would let me in when he was ready. Shame. Someone turned up for some drugs and uh, they just handed their prescription through the door and then a gloved hand handed them the drugs and some change as well. After maybe 10 minutes in the drizzle, the door opened and I saw the youthful face of the new doctor for the first time. I was smiling behind my mask, but he just looked confused. 
Who are you? He asked. Who was I? <laughs> Had this man not watched TV in the 1990s? <laughs> to be fair, my show was probably on after his bedtime and uh, most adults didn't watch it either, but that's hardly the point. I'm Richard Herring, I said. You can't be, he insisted. Well, I'm pretty sure I am. I was expecting a 16-year-old, he said. And I was a little put out that he presumed I wasn't a teenager. I mean, maybe one who'd lived a pretty high-octane life, but was it really beyond the realms of possibility? He decided to let me in anyway, even though I wasn't me. In his room, he checked his computer and said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I had the wrong notes up, which was reassuring. Um, I've had four people in with the same issue as you this week. Well, it's an epidemic, I replied. No one will remember COVID when everyone's hobbling around with giant testicles. He laughed. He was a little bit scatty and nervous, but in very good spirits for a man coping with COVID, along with four men in one village having larger-than-expected testes. <laughs> I told him that my ball had been feeling a bit big and hard for the last couple of weeks, and he asked me to take down my trousers and pants so he could examine the problem. As his gloved hand met my clammy ball sack, it struck me this was the quickest I've ever gone from meeting someone for the first time to them cupping my balls. Um, though there had been a girl at university who had run him close, and she didn't put a dampener on things by asking weird questions. Uh, that said, I think she was sick out of her window soon afterwards. <laughs> Have you had any pain, he asked. No, not at all. Any blood in your urine or semen? Not that I've noticed. I mean, I think I would have noticed. Uh, did your testicles descend properly when you were a kid? Well, as far as I know, I mean, how far were they meant to go? <laughs> Just into your scrotum. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's where they stopped. Uh, I, I, was, I, I was imagining they might be like uh, yo-yos or something. <laughs> Any history of cancer in your family? N no, that, that was a bit of a concerning question, right? Was that what this was? The doctor told me not to worry and to get dressed. He agreed that the ball did seem rather hard and enlarged, but quickly reassured me. The good news is, I don't think this is cancer. If I was a betting man, he continued, I would say this is epididymitis. If he was a betting man? Even if he was, I don't think it would be appropriate for a, a GP to start gambling on his own diagnosis. In any case, which bookmakers would have taken such a weird bet? How would, how would they calculate the odds? He had inside information as well. It's lucky he wasn't a betting man because he just admitted that if he was, he would break his code of ethics. The epididymis is the coiled tube at the back of the testicle. I already knew this. Uh, I, don't, I didn't want to show off to the doctor, but I am the author of a seminal, pun intended, <laughs> book about male genitalia. It's called Talking Cock. And so I know the name and function of every part of male genitalia. And in fact, I renamed it all in my book to be more accessible to the layman. Uh, I called the epididymis the cat's cradle. It's a better name for it. I tried to get the aperture at the end of the penis renamed. We used to have a quite politically incorrect name for that in the, in the 70s and 80s, which I won't mention now. In this, I'll be cancelled. It's so woke. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, I thought it should be renamed the herring's eye. <laughs> I scanned the shelves of the surgery to see if my book was amongst the other academic tomes, but couldn't spot it. But to be fair, he probably lent it to one of the other big bollocked men in the village. Um, uh, meanwhile, he continued to inform me about epididymitis. It can become infected by bacteria or get blocked and become inflamed. This can also affect the testicle in something that is called epididymoorchitis. So is it treatable? Yeah, it's nothing to worry about at all. Just to be sure, we have to send you into hospital for a scan. We don't mess around with things like this. I briefly wondered which illnesses GPs might consider messing around with. <laughs> It's just piles, but let's tell him he's got two hours to live. So... 
Someone will be in touch with you in the next couple of days. I left the practice with a weight lifted. I was genuinely elated and realised I'd been even more scared about all this than I'd let myself believe. I I was walking on air, breathing deep and cherishing each delicious, life-giving breath, listening to birdsong, smiling and giving a cheery hello to the other people in my village. Even the lady who voted for UKIP and liked to mention it at every opportunity. (laughs) I was alive. I'd been given a second chance and from now on I was going to live every second to the full. Uh, as soon as I'd finished this difficult level I was on on Homescape's game on my phone. <laughs> wow, brilliant. Things are looking up then. It's all right, isn't it? Perhaps it turns out I didn't have cancer at all. I mean, I hope I did, because otherwise this whole podcast series is going to be a bit of a scam, right? If I just turned out there was nothing wrong and I've done a whole podcast series about it. But, mate, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait until next time to see how the story pans out as well as my ongoing testicular chronicles in future episodes of Can I Have My Ball Back, you can expect to hear a little bit of this. In all honesty, most of the time people are so nervous about coming in to see the doctor that I don't think getting jiggy is their primary concern. (laughs) Some of this. There's no such thing as transplanting a goat testicle into a, a human being. You know, it just doesn't work. Probably some of this, too. I lecture about this on a regular basis, but no one has ever asked me <laughs> questions. <laughs> no one has thought about testicles as much as I have. That's the, oh. that's the, that's the problem. <laughs> We'd also like to include any stories and facts about testicles that you would like to share with us. I mean, it seems unlikely you'll bother or you'll want to, but you never know. If you feel like sharing, we are happy to keep it anonymous if you would like you're very welcome to contact us at C-I-H-M-B-B, Kahimbaba, at gmail.com. That's, can I have my ball back? C-I-H-M-B-B at gmail.com. Don't send pictures of your testicles or penis. I don't want that kind of stuff coming through, all right? You know what I'm talking about. But anything helpful and interesting would be good. Thanks for listening. Check your junk and bits. Or each other's junk and bits, like Charlie suggested, you know, could be the start to a pretty exciting evening. As long as you don't find anything suspicious. And if you get off on that, could still be good. Anyway, do remember, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please buy my book, Can I Have My Ball Back? Available at all good bookshops and at gofasterstripe.com slash ball. It's got loads more information and whole extra bits that aren't in this podcast. And this podcast will have whole extra bits that aren't in the book. So please buy it if you can. Can I Have My Ball Back is presented by me, Richard Herring. Thanks to my guests, Charlie Borman. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thanks also to Chris Evans, not that one or that one. My researcher, Alex Hiscock. George Lingford, the incompetent sound man. Rich Evans at Syncbox. And also to the Bill Murray and the Phoenix where I recorded the stand-up. The music is by Gustav Holst. Look out for him. I think it's going to be big. Thanks also to BMG Music Library. This is a Go Faster Stripe, Sky Potato and Fuzz production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Gofasterstripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.